0: one more Sunday as we prepare to jump back into the Lord's Word. Um, I was privileged to get my Labor Day early last week as I took a Sunday off and my friend Andy Wood preached for me and he substituted for me. Um, But today we want to return back to talking about the family and as we looked at, look at the most effective ways to live whole as individuals, build the family in our homes, and ultimately build the family that is defined as the church. As I've said over the course of the last few weeks, all the teachings that we hear today and the past few weeks are emblematic of what the Christian life should be. And so as we talk about the outlook of the family and how we can affect that as Christian individuals, it is imperative for us to understand that unless we are Christians, these are not the requirements of our lives, but because we proclaim to be Christians, that every one of us should have the evidences of these things that we discuss in our lives. So. We want to see today how we are to live and how we are commanded as Christians to be constantly filled by and with the Spirit, and how the effects of our Spirit-led lives ultimately glorify God in every aspect of who we are. Pastor D. L. Moody was up preaching one time, and as he was preaching, he held a glass up and he asked, he said, to the congregation, how do we get the air out of this glass? And there were a few people who looked a little bewildered at one another, a few bold people would speak up and one individual spoke up and said, well, you need to take an air pump to it and take the air out of the glass. And Moody said, I thought somebody would think of that, but if we do that, that'll create an air vacuum and it'll shatter the glass. He said, how do we get the air out of this glass? A few more people looked at one another in bewilderment. Somebody even boldly said, well, maybe you just turn it upside down. Moody said, no, that's not going to do it either. And so he then holds up the glass, but then he holds up a pitcher of water with that glass. And he begins to fill the glass up with with water until the glass is completely filled. And he said, that is the only way you can remove air out of the glass. He then went on to say, as Christians, if we are trying to remove sin of our, out of our lives, it cannot be pick sin here, pick sin there, and try to remove it. It is not until we are completely filled by and with the Spirit that all the sin that is in our lives, that is in our hearts, is completely removed. And so I pray that today we will see that even in many of the quarrels, even in many of the issues that we may have in our households, if we are not in total agreement, if we are not living the life that we feel we should lead, that it is often because we are not being filled with and by the Spirit. Many of the sins that we are now committing, that we've committed and will commit, are just because we are not being filled with the Spirit. And so let's look at what Paul says today as we continue to work our way through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. And he reads, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In verses 15 and 16, Paul here admonishes the church at Ephesus not to walk as unwise men. And he then says, making the best use of your time. Why? Because the very days that we live in are evil. He wants Christians to understand that the lifestyle that we lead is not defined by its longevity, but it's actually defined by its brevity. Remember, the Bible warns us that life is but as a vapor and that in one day it can be here and in the next day it can be snuffed out. He wants Christians to understand that in this short temporal life, it is not wise for us to waste our time doing the things that only make us comfortable and living our lives in a way that dishonors God. He says that that then brings it that brings us to verse 17. He says, therefore, or so then, do not be foolish. He says, don't be foolish. He says, but what? The contrast to being foolish is to understand what the will of the Lord is for our lives. What is the will of the Lord for us? You can break God's will for us all down in five dynamic ways. God's will for us is to be saved. God's will for us is to be spirit filled. God's will for us is to be submissive. God's will for us is to suffer. And God's will ultimately is for us to be thankful. Now, you may notice that I didn't say anything about glorifying God. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him always. So why did I not say anything about glorifying God? Because if you look at these five dynamic ways that we are called to live, all of those put the onus on God and not us. All of those those force us to glorify who God is. They glorify God absolutely, and it absolutely glorifies God when we are saved, when we are spirit-filled, when we are submissive, when we are suffering, and when we are thankful. And we have to realize that our lives are distorted and disordered when we lose sight of who and what we live for. Lacking even one component of the God led self sacrificing life means that we lack all of them. You cannot be saved and not be spirit filled. You cannot be spirit filled and not be submissive. You cannot be submissive and have no suffering. And you certainly cannot have the suffering and not be thankful. In order for us to be good, born again Christians, we must have all components of these. Paul then gives us a few do-nots here in the text. He tells us, do not be foolish, but we are to understand. He tells us, do not get drunk with wine, but the contrast to that is to be filled with the Spirit. And that will ease us into point number one today. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Paul warns us that we should not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now we've seen all throughout the Bible warnings about drunkenness and all throughout Scripture, but this one is different. This type of drunkenness would happen when they would get together in pagan worship and they would get drunk. And when they would get drunk, they would engage together in what is called sexual orgies. And when they were engaged engaged in these sexual orgies, their goal was that it would elicit some kind of response from their deities and their gods. Paul is warning that this type of behavior is debauchery. Now, the word debauchery is interesting because we don't have a great translation for what that word means in English. So there are a few things that it means. In the Greek, that word is asotia, and it has a combination of meanings. It means things like unsavedness and drunkenness, unrestrained, dissoluteness, excess, and riot. It is a serious word that Paul uses here and he uses it with great intention. Now, we can't overcontextualize this and say this was only for them at this time. This is not just a descriptive text. This is what we call a prescriptive text. Paul is telling us this is how we should lead and how we should live. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 1:13, 1, "Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being what? Being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is. We are commanded to be sober minded. Which means we are not commanded to be inebriated or disillusioned or disenchanted or delusioned by anything else. We are called to be in complete focus as Christians. Our minds undistorted by the world. Now, this is not exclusive to drunkenness only, but this is anything that distorts us from reality and fills us up with anything other than the spirit. This is the biggest challenge of Christians, especially in the family, because we are being inebriated by the attraction of the world and perceiving what the world says as truth. Oftentimes for wives, there is this unscriptural expectation of what the husband should be. We create an expectation of what the husband should be, but it's founded not on scripture, but what those off-divorce reality talk show hosts say in their books. We find it by those unwedded people who instruct us how we should live on real housewives, though they are no one's housewife. And we would much rather take the advice that we get from them than to look at scripture. We are inebriated by what is not true. We are intoxicated by these falsified claims of wisdom. Now, I've never been drunk or high, but I do know that one of the common things that you hear people say when they are drunk and when they are high is, I'm not drunk and I'm not high. Because there is a time that you get to such an inebriated and intoxicated state that you can't even perceive that you are under the influence. One of the great issues in the church is that many of us are under the influence, yet we are proclaiming to be spirit-filled. We are blind to the fact that we have been filled up with the drunken culture of this world. For husbands, often they are so devoted and broken and distorted by the false narrative of sex that they see in pornography. And it presents what they believe sex with their wife should be like. And when it isn't that, they would rather fantasize about what could be rather than enjoy what is. Intoxicated intoxicated and distorted by the false narrative outside of what God should be and what happens is we come together proclaiming to be Christians filled up with the world, filled up with what the TV host says, filled up with pornography and we come together to form a cohesive Christian family and we can't stand each other. The reason that is, is because we are filling ourselves up with everything other than the Holy Spirit. See, the only way we can completely be sober is that we are filled with the Spirit. This scripture actually perfectly translates to be being filled. See, that's bad grammar for us, but that's what Paul meant. Be being filled with the Spirit. Be continuously filled. This is not talking about what happens when we are saved, when we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but this is the constant sanctification process that every Christian should be going through, that we are continually filled with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. This means it is in opposition to being under the influence of the world or the flesh, but we are led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14 tells us, for all who are led by the Spirit are what? They are the sons of God. If you do not have the Spirit, you can be led by the Spirit. Being led by the spirit is not something that the Christian should sometimes do, but it is the evidence of having the spirit in the first place. You can't flip a switch and say today I want to be led by the spirit and tomorrow I don't really want to be led by the spirit. It is the evidence of your Christian experience that you are being led by the spirit. But what must precede that? you got to have the spirit in the first place. Everything we face in life calls us to to, um, choose between two options. To either be led by the flesh or to be led by the spirit. Every decision we make is a call for us to either be led by the flesh or be led by the spirit. Now imagine if we looked at all of life like this, as opposed to making this this big macro level thing where I got to be led by the spirit. What if you looked at every interaction you have with somebody as a choice between the two? When you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you have a decision to make is even in this moment, am I going to grab my phone or am I going to grab on to God? Am I going to be in this moment? I don't have the next moment. I don't have last year's moment. I don't have yesterday's moment. I have to make the choice right now whether or not to be led by what I want to do or what the Spirit would have for me to do. See, put it in your house, put it in your marriage. Put it in your relationship with your kids. Are we being constantly led by the spirit? Or are are we making the spiritual decision? Or get this, are we making the easy one? See, the carnal decision that we make is always the easiest decision for us to make. Whenever people, especially students at the school, approach me and say, I need help in making this decision, I always ask them, which one is the easy decision? Which decision would you do without the Holy Spirit? Go the opposite way. That is how we are led by the Spirit. Listen, the only effective way that the Bible outlines for us to be led by the Spirit is to feed what feeds the Spirit and to contrary starve the flesh. Sow in the Spirit and you will reap life everlasting walk by the Spirit and the flesh will be unfulfilled. If, when we are angry, we do something that only enhances that state, then we have made the carnal decision. Whatever you do that exacerbates your sinful state, when you are angry, when you are sad, when you are lustful, whatever you do that only exacerbates that feeling of sin, is going against the Spirit. There is no in-between. When we walk by the Spirit, it manifests us one fruit, but it produces in us nine attributes. And we see those in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, verse 22. And it is imperative for us to understand that there are not multiple fruits The Spirit produces one fruit. And out of that fruit, there are nine attributes. You can't have one attribute and not have the other and say, I got that fruit and not this one. It's one fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ jesus have get this they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires look at this if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another when we are looking at our lives, it, 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 if, is the Spirit producing these attributes in us? Do you see what Paul says here? He says, if we are living by the Spirit, that means that we should keep in step with it. I like the way he puts that. Keep in step with the spirit. That doesn't mean like when we see him talk about running the course of life, he says in order to effectively run that course of life, you must keep in step with the spirit, which means every move I make, every step I take, every decision I make, Jasmine got it. I am walking in the spirit. As the Spirit moves, I'm not getting ahead of the Spirit. I am keeping in step with the Spirit. I am slowing life down, and every walk, every motion, I am aligning my life up and seeing if I am still in step with the Spirit. So when I get at the end of the course of this life, I realize it was a race, but I never noticed it because I was keeping in step. With the Spirit. See, we have to see this. Point number two. The Spirit breeds fellowship. The Spirit breeds fellowship. Look at what he says. Addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says, One, that we are expected to come together with one another. That is another sign of your Christianity, is that we are not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but we are fellowshipping with the other members of the body of Christ. Fellowship with other Christians is as necessary to the growth of Christians as reading the Bible. That's how necessary fellowship is. Look what the scripture tells us. Proverbs 11 and 14. When there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Safety. Look at Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to do what? How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near, we are commanded to come together as Christians in the body of Christ. The only reason I would not want to fellowship with you is either you're not a Christian or I'm not. As Christians, there is nothing that would keep us, there is nothing that should keep us away from our relationship with one another. If we have a relationship with God, we have to have a relationship with one another. It is imperative to our sanctification process. One of the major missteps that we make as Christians because of this individualistic culture is that we are too closed in. We withhold from our brothers and sisters in Christ when we should trust that if they have the Holy Spirit in them, when we need to be counseled by our brothers and sisters in Christ, that the Holy Spirit in them will testify to the Holy Spirit that's in us. You know, the the Bible tells us that the Spirit bears witness of the Spirit that is in us. So oftentimes, if I come up to a brother or sister in Christ, it is not my Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that knows how to identify itself. Because if I have the Spirit and they have the Spirit, it brings us together we should not be wide open books about all the happenings in our in our home surely not but if we have problems if we have issues we have the brothers and sisters in christ whom we are to trust to go to those and be counseled by them listen how many marriages could have been saved one if the church had been available to counsel and two, if we had been open enough about the fact that we needed counseling. And that in our, in our arrogance, we didn't try to fix it ourselves. Think about this. How many marriages could have been avoided? If we had been counseled. And if we had counseled one another. See, the fellowship... Of the Holy Spirit is the safety net for us so that even when we as believers make decisions that go against it we have the counsel of those who also have the Spirit and can testify whether or not we are following the leading of the Holy Spirit that is why we have one another but unfortunately far too often we try to handle it ourselves What if we stopped trying to keep up appearances for the church and went before the church when we were in sin or when things weren't working the way they should and admitted that we need help? Think about how much healthier we could be. Not just as a family, but even as individuals. That is what being led by the Spirit is. I am not defaulting to my normal response, but I am laying aside what would make me comfortable, and I am being led step by step by step by the Spirit. It is our carnality that that drives us away from speaking up. But just in case you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm just real private, let me read you this scripture. Proverbs 18 and 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire he breaks out against all sound judgment you get that? so no you can't be a Christian who is on an island because if you're the only Christian on the island there are no Christians on the island you must be in fellowship because it protects you from you But whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Carnal is the man, the woman, the family who believes that they are their own. The Holy Spirit brings us together. And coming together is not just an example of being filled with the Spirit, but it leads to being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because we worship and serve the Lord out loud together. We come together and we celebrate him. And the Bible tells us we make the melody in our hearts. So not only do we worship together and celebrate God together, but we are making that melody in our hearts as well. So when we come together, if you are feeling broken, if you are feeling bad, if you are feeling sad, when you come together and worship, what ails you should be healed? Because you came together and worshiped with your other brothers and sisters. Giving thanks always. Thankfulness is not a sometimes act for Christians. But it literally defines our lifestyles. In everything, we give thanks because this is the will of God concerning us in Christ Jesus. When thankfulness is our disposition, then we are not pessimistic about where we are in our lives. But we are encouraged by what we have. And if we are Christians, if we have nothing else, we have Jesus Christ. And for us, that is absolutely everything we need. Finally, point three. We submit to one another. We submit to one another. I'm presenting this scripture this week so that next week when we talk about it in depth in the marriage, it'll be easier for us to handle. Humble submission is an expected aspect of the Christian life to other Christians. Regardless if we are married or not, it is a it is an expectation of all Christians to to other Christians. We are expected to submit to one another that that is the evidence of every spirit filled Christians continue walk with Christ. It causes us to submit to one another, to serve one another, not because of one another, but because of our reverence for Christ. If you are a Christian, submission is not an option. It is an expectation. No Christian is inherently superior to any other Christian and God does not have a hierarchy on who's more spiritual. We are all expected to submit to one another. More importantly, and we will get into this next week, if you can't submit to other believers whom you're not married to, how in the world do you think you will come together in fellowship and covenant marriage and think that you will ever be able to submit to anybody, especially somebody you live with? See, the big issue that we have, the reason we don't want to submit is because we haven't been taught that submission doesn't start when we get married. Submission starts at our conversion. And even when people are not worthy of being submitted to, we submit anyway. When we submit to one another, It is our glorious service to God. Why? Because inevitably, Jesus submitted to all of us for God his Father so that through him we might be saved. If Jesus, who was truly God, and truly man did not count it robbery to be equal with God but he humbled himself as a servant and suffered the death of a criminal even the death on the cross who are we to not submit to one another so it is our glorious service and it does not matter how they talk how they think how they vote, we submit to one another. I want to go further in this, but we'll do it next week. We will do it next week as we talk more about the roles of the husband and the wife in the home.